You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs and cryptocurrencies. Before we begin our show, a very happy new year to all our listeners. Wherever you are, Europe, Asia, Americas, Africa or Australia, we hope that you are safe, healthy and have an exciting year ahead of you. So, as our first episode for 2021, we decided to take a look back into our journey of podcasting over the past 2 years. Uh it was exactly 2 years back that we started the Blockchain Dialogues podcast and uh, we have come a pretty long way since then. So we decided that today we'll talk about how we got started uh what were some of the key topics that uh, we talked about on our shows how we saw the industry evolve during this time and what we see as the path forward into 2021 To begin I would just like to say my motivation for this podcast 2 years back as we got started was to look into blockchain and crypto industry as a catalyst for change in several different systems around the world So I saw it as something that has the power to change the way money works, how banking and financial services can work in a decentralized environment. So personally I just wanted to take a close look at this industry and uh, keep a track of all the changes that were happening. Uh Nikhil how about you uh, what were some of your reasons with the podcast? Yeah okay okay so yeah it's likewise it was quite similar. Uh so one thing is uh I got into blockchains and I very quickly realized that this is uh it's a, it's a larger type of change than i have seen before and i was quite excited about it uh, but at the same time i felt that it was something that since it is so fundamental to the fabric of society it would take some time to actually affect it and while i wanted to be part of it i wanted to be part of the journey and i wanted to be kind of more looking at trying to see how i could learn continuously because i knew that this was going to evolve in the early days there was a lot of change happening across a lot of uh, different directions we had the ico boom this is uh, and then we had the crash and people were bearish about uh, crypto and blockchains in general all the hype had kind of it had gone into the you know like they say the trough of disillusionment and uh, 2019 i felt was you know the time when basically blockchains would be kind of uh, at least the ecosystem and the companies were going to be uh, working on things and building out things you know the after the hype the uh, things had settled down and people are like okay let's start building and uh, uh, i wanted to keep myself uh, continuously learning and for me at least i felt that this podcast would be a good medium to keep myself honest and you know spending time researching this and looking at this and of course when you were also interested uh, it was a great opportunity for us to have these conversations which i always enjoyed because they kind of also forced me to think about and uh, talk about various aspects of blockchains that i might not have thought about or pursued independently so yeah that's that's why i thought you know at least my from my perspective that was the motivation uh for getting this podcast out uh obviously from 
the audience perspective uh, also we had some uh, specific ideas so yeah kk so you want to talk a little bit about uh, how we envisaged uh, our audience for this podcast would be the audience that that we envisioned for this podcast as we began and i must say it, it evolved a little bit over a period of time but uh, we we looked at two different audiences you know for this podcast so one is the developer community the ever active developer community in the blockchain and and the crypto ecosystem that is building all these different solutions uh, somebody that could take a look at uh, different projects that we were reviewing and uh, we did some episodes you know where we uh, did some in-depth analysis of various protocols and various technologies uh, layer 1 layer 2 even layer 0 and at the same time we wanted this podcast to be something that you know would be easy and it would be simple enough for somebody outside the industry to understand so let's say somebody from the logistics or healthcare industry or gaming industry you know if they if they're looking at this fresh new hot technology called blockchain and they're trying they're wondering you know how this would be of relevance to me in in my industry right we wanted to break it down in simple terms we wanted to Uh, make them understand what is the relevance for this technology apart from uh, the whole money aspect of bitcoin and cryptos right so these are the two primary audiences that that we wanted to target so some of our shows we went very in depth with certain technologies on the other hand some other shows we we focused more on industries and specific business use cases so that was the division of of audience that that we wanted to pursue uh kk so that was great i think uh, we also wanted to kind of take some topics that were not normally discussed so every time everybody discuss about what a blockchain is and the whole mining puzzle and all of that but we wanted to kind of look at it from a slightly different lens and uh, perhaps you could talk to us about you know some of the uh, technologies that uh, we covered uh, like say oracles or stable coins sure I believe oracles was one of the first topics if not the first topic that we discussed yeah that's uh, right on on the show and uh, it was a buzzing hot topic uh, two years back at least conceptually speaking so a blockchain oracle is nothing but a program or a software that can identify information from outside a blockchain and translate it into usable information within the blockchain so uh, blockchains as we know are great at keeping information immutable once you write something onto a blockchain that data cannot be altered or tampered with but to make sure that the data being fed into the blockchain is accurate you need a reliable source of data from the external world right uh, and so that that's where the oracles come in so whether it is stock prices or climate or weather data or data from temperature sensors from your pharmaceutical shipments an oracle ensures that the data that goes uh, onto the blockchain is good and accurate data so uh, in our episode we discussed how oracles would work uh, what are the different types software oracles hardware oracles so back then oracles were being talked about at a more or less conceptual level projects had not matured much in the industry uh, and now of course uh, we know chainlink is a project with a market cap of uh, 4 billion dollars and uh, another popular up and coming project working on oracles is the band protocol so uh, definitely oracles based projects have come a long way since the time we actually discuss them on our podcast in fact uh, i would say that oracles actually form a large part of the core infrastructure of many defi protocols 
So uh, you have uh, the uh, Uniswap, you have Compound. All of these basically have price oracles uh, built in where that kind of help them kind of determine what prices of things are. And uh, in a lot of cases, uh, it has been the weakness of some of these oracles that have uh, you know, cause disruptions in these products in some cases. Uh, so yeah, oracles are still, I think, in my opinion, not a completely solved solution. And uh, while Chainlink and uh, Band Protocol and some others are all coming up, it is still, I think, uh, one of those things where there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done. Another important topic that we discussed early on Uh, from a crypto finance perspective, uh, was that of stablecoins. Back then, DeFi or decentralized finance was still in its infancy. Uh, You had many different projects trying to build conventional real-world financial solutions on decentralized or blockchain-based ecosystems. But uh, one of the very first and probably the most important tool that made cryptocurrencies useful in the real world was stablecoins. So coming from the ICO bubble crash in 2017, We knew one thing for sure, that uh, even though cryptocurrencies had great promise for the future, uh, they were too volatile in nature to be used for any real-world transactions. So for example, if you were to buy a loaf of bread with some amount of ETH or Litecoin or Monero, you would not want the market prices of these uh, crypto assets to vary so much on a day-to-day basis that the amount of Litecoin or ETH that you need to buy that same loaf of bread is vastly different every other day. So stablecoins, as we know, you know, they're they're cryptocurrencies that are pegged to a real world asset, such as gold or US dollar or euro, uh, so that the price of one unit of that stablecoin would always remain one dollar or one euro or something, right? Uh, Hence the word stable. So uh, even in stablecoins, there are different types of stablecoins based on how these coins are collateralized. So you have uh, stablecoins that are collateralized by fiat money. These are called uh, fiat collateralized or centralized stablecoins. And then you have the ones that are collateralized by other cryptocurrencies. Uh, These are called crypto collateralized or decentralized stablecoins. Then you have another type, you know, which are not collateralized by anything. Rather, they maintain their price stability using certain algorithms. So uh, these are called algorithmic stablecoins. So again, stablecoins today, uh, they're one of the most important bridges between the conventional finance world and the crypto world that uh, allows decentralized money to be useful for any sort of real-world financial applications. Yeah, in fact, actually, you would argue that stablecoins was the thing that helped uh, DeFi become as big as it is today because until then, you really did not have some way of basically providing... uh, There was no kind of token that actually you could use as a medium of exchange because the value of each token used to fluctuate so much, right? Stablecoin is, I would say, the base layer or one of the lowest layers on top of which the DeFi ecosystem started building. And then on our show, we discussed many different protocols. So after the success of Ethereum as the decentralized platform where you could launch other cryptocurrencies, you could run smart contracts and build financial applications on top of, you had several other projects that were looking to rival Ethereum or to even find solutions to some of the drawbacks of Ethereum. So, Nikhil, uh, do you want to touch upon some of the other protocols that we have discussed on the show? 
Sure. So before we get into some of the protocols, uh, I just wanted to touch one one uh, interesting show that we had uh, was an Ethereum governance, right? And uh, if you look at Ethereum now, in 2019, it was still not clear how Ethereum was going to scale, what was going to happen. There were a lot of uh, research projects going on and how that was going to be coordinated. And uh, now, just a month back, we had... Uh, uh, the emergence of the beacon chain and Ethereum 2 basically uh, starting its first phase. And a lot of that success, I think, goes to uh, show how governance in Ethereum was handled. And the interesting thing about uh, Ethereum is basically the idea of uh, on-chain and off-chain governance. So there is an Ethereum foundation and that this is off-chain governance and there is a specific uh, funding that is available for uh, quote-unquote blue sky research on or uh, foundational research on the uh, protocol itself and uh, things like that. So and then there is the Ethereum improvement proposals and uh, Ethereum requests for comments which are to be honest open source older open source ideas but have been adopted in the community to ensure transparency and kind of bring some kind of coordination. So uh, that was an interesting episode and uh, moving on into uh, like you said other protocols, uh, one of the very interesting ones that we looked at is Mimblewimble, uh, which for a while was kind of this uh, idea around uh, confidential transactions, right? So Mimblewimble was a protocol that kind of looked to uh, try to reduce the problem of transparency or the problem of being able to track transactions. So like in a conventional blockchain like Bitcoin, uh, if you are able to uh, attach a a Bitcoin address to a real world person, you can almost immediately then just use that to kind of uh, work backwards and see all the transactions that have been made. Since all the all that information is available uh, on the blockchain itself in a public manner. So uh, Mimblewimble looks at uh, an innovative uh, way to kind of cut through those transactions, group them together, and then just look at the whole overall balance and make sure that transactions all add up properly and uh, a side effect of that also was that it made the Mimblewimble blockchain much smaller and uh, therefore able to scale much uh, more. So uh, that was one one very interesting one that we looked at. Uh, another in- interesting one uh, was Algorand. Algorand uh, it's a POS, a proof of stake protocol uh, and the interesting thing about that is that it uses a innovative randomized algorithm to kind of identify in real time who the stakers are, right? Who, who are basically the ones who, the validators uh, of each block. And uh, there was this interesting idea that was brought out by uh, one of the uh, legends in security uh, and cryptography research, uh, Silvia Micali. And uh, uh, it continues to this day. They, they're actually now, I think, uh, brought out their development kit and uh, looking for uh, developers. Another one uh, which was interesting, I think, when we we're talking about protocols, was this very interesting idea that on the governance side called Moloch DAO, right? And uh, one of the things that actually uh, interestingly brought uh, our attention to it was the fact that it uh, it was something that uh, a lot of the big names in the Ethereum community, you know, they were participating 
in the mole of Tao. And uh, the concept uh, is that it's a, it's a different way of uh, doing a Tao where it allowed you to kind of participate in the DAO and nominate other people to join the DAO and uh, projects to get funding based on the DAO. So the nomination basically was in the form of funding. And uh, it also allowed you to, at any point, anybody to kind of uh, rage quit, you know, and uh, get out and withdraw all their resources uh, from from the DAO itself. Uh, It was an interesting experiment into, you know, uh, the mechanics, uh, the economic, uh, the crypto economic mechanics of how uh, governance could be done uh, differently, right? Uh, other than the normal voting ideas. And then finally, one of the things that has always been there uh, ever since multiple blockchains uh, emerged was the idea of having a way to kind of communicate between them, right? So you had Bitcoin, you had Ethereum. How do you actually? transfer data between these blockchains which are essentially isolated systems so from that actually a couple of projects came out Uh, one of the ones that we looked at is uh, cosmos it's now uh, also on mainnet and uh, there is an implementation that is running and validators running on it it's an interesting idea Uh, it allows you to create bridges that allow you to communicate between multiple blockchains that are built using its uh, the Cosmos protocol, underlying uh, protocol, the Tendermint protocol. And uh, it also creates bridges between other public uh, blockchains as well. So uh, this was kind of like one of the things that we looked at, uh, like uh, KK was mentioning, right? We uh, wanted to kind of explore the technical protocols and the technical ideas behind a lot of these blockchains but we also wanted to help people who were coming in from different backgrounds right so healthcare or logistics etc and get them to kind of get a feel for what's happening in their domain with regard to blockchain so we built a few episodes where we actually explored these various domains from a layman's perspective of course but with the idea that okay what's actually happening on the blockchain side there. So, uh, KK, could we kind of just quickly, briefly cover some of these industry use cases that we talked about? Sure. So, uh, probably the very first industry that we looked at where blockchains found an immediate synergy with the existing ecosystem was that of gaming. Gaming, as we know, has many different use cases, uh, everything from tokenization of in-game assets to creating new revenue models for game developers. So blockchain technology offers a new decentralized paradigm where different uh, models can be created compared to the current economic model. So for example, with blockchains, you could create verifiable scarcity of assets. One of the first big examples of this was CryptoKitties, right? Which was uh, built on Ethereum, you know, where where you could collect digital cats, which were unique uh, and uh, verifiably scarce. So uh, if you owned a specific CryptoKitty, you could be sure that nobody else in the world could own a replica of the same thing. Or in another use case, you know, with blockchain tech, you could write smart contracts in a way that uh, every time a specific purchase happened within a game, the game developer gets a direct cut out of it, you know, right at the point of purchase. So this is something that was not possible uh, before, you know, the, the world of smart contracts. 
or a completely different use case, you know, in case of uh, MMO games, that is uh, massively multiplayer online games, where uh, if you are competing for virtual assets, such as land, uh, resources, reputation, or whatever else, you're doing so on a decentralized ecosystem versus a centralized system, you know, where any of these assets could be taken away from you any day, right, by, by a central entity. So uh, that's that's another uh, area that we discussed, you know, where for specific kind of games, for specific uh, types of games, uh, a decentralized ecosystem might naturally be a better fit compared to a centralized system. The next big application of blockchain tech that we discussed was in the industry of logistics and supply chain management. With the world interconnected the way it is, in the year 2020 with the pandemic, we realized how fragile our logistics and supply chain ecosystems are. So if anything could make this ecosystem more robust or anti-fragile, it would be a massive value addition for all businesses and industries. So with logistics and supply chains, we looked at certain industries where blockchain tech was already being applied for better tracking or verification of origin, etc. So, for example, in the diamond industry, you have some of the biggest companies today using blockchain technology to trace the origin and supply of diamonds end-to-end in its entire supply chain. So, this helps you ensure that these diamonds are not coming to you from any conflict zones in the world. Uh, And similarly, uh, blockchain tech uh, has also moved on to tracking the origin of uh, other similar gemstones in the world, you know, using the same technology. So uh, a kind of similar use case is that of ensuring food safety as well, you know, when it comes to the supply chain of fruits, vegetables, meats. So if you're able to trace the movement of these different foods in the supply chain end to end in a tamper-proof manner, you know, using a blockchain, let's say, you know, if if there was an outbreak of E. coli or listeria because of uh, some bad romaine lettuce or some bad meat, you know, somewhere in the supply chain, you could pinpoint exactly where that outbreak may have emerged from. Or in another use case, you know, if you combined blockchain with IoT, you could trace the temperature of your pharmaceutical shipments end-to-end, right? So, like, you could ensure in a tamper-proof, immutable manner that if certain medicines are meant to be maintained at a certain temperature throughout the shipping process, they are indeed being maintained at that temperature. Or maybe a more general use case, you know, in the logistics and trucking and shipping industry itself, there's this big alliance called BETA, you know, which is Blockchain and Trucking Alliance which is this large consortium of trucking and logistics companies like uh, UPS, FedEx, DHL. So these companies basically came together, you know, with this blockchain-based alliance to make their systems more traceable, reliable, and more cost-effective using blockchain-based systems. So there are many different use cases in the logistics industry that we discussed, you know, where blockchain can be a really great fit. Another industry that we looked at very closely was the healthcare industry. Again, you know, it's, it's an industry which is very complex in terms of managing data rights, uh, customer data privacy, who would have access to what data, etc. right? So you have many different products today, you know, working on solutions for consent management or maintaining medical records in a tamper-proof manner, uh, ensuring that data does not necessarily have to exist in silos so that one system can access data from another efficiently, uh, at the same time complying by all the rules and regulations around it. Another use case uh, that we discussed was that of genomics specifically, you know, in in healthcare. So there are different projects working on collecting genetic data from people anonymously so that uh, your identity is removed or de-identified from that data. And, uh, you know, that that collection of data can then be used for various kinds of medical research, 
for uh, creating new drugs or therapies or treatments and you know at the same time you as the person sharing that data anonymously can actually be paid for sharing that data so again like i said you know there are many different use cases uh, in the healthcare industry you know where blockchains can really change the existing models of how uh, people work around collecting data and managing it then uh, another big uh, industry that we covered uh, where blockchain can have a major impact uh, is the media industry so you know for example you could build systems like youtube without the need of a centralized middleman like google right so you could effectively remove the middleman altogether uh, along with the advertisers uh, in a way such that the customer directly pays the content creator for the content in another use case you could probably host uh, content in a immutable and censorship resistant manner so that uh, taking down certain content by large governments around the world would be very very difficult so for example you know the, there are blockchain systems today you know where once a data is hosted in a decentralized torrent like manner you can block access to it at an application level so as to comply by government regulations but the data itself cannot be deleted from its underlying layer so that's one you know very interesting use case of censorship resistance when it comes to handling media another big use case in the media industry is that of royalty management uh, especially in the music industry you currently have companies that are trying to build blockchain based systems wherein all the rightful people who are involved in the production of a piece of music get paid for it as that piece of music moves down the value chain then uh, finally we looked at the usage of blockchain technology in the art industry uh, again a very promising industry uh, where using blockchain tech you could uh, build decentralized marketplaces to buy and sell art using certain technologies you could verify the authenticity of pieces of art and store that information on the blockchain in an immutable tamper proof way or in some other use cases you could actually provide platforms for artists to create art collaboratively and use blockchain based systems to effectively manage the rights of that art piece among various artists and you know even even ensure that the royalties are actually passed on to them as that piece of art is sold anywhere in the world so these are some of the most promising industry use cases that we covered uh, in the last two years apart from this there was another very important use case which was that of voting so uh, nikhil do you want to touch upon the blockchain voting use case so uh, one of the uh, interesting ones that we did was on blockchain and voting and this was actually quite interesting because voting is uh, an area that you know we did not have much clue about but we felt would be important given 2020 being a year for uh, the us election uh, which turned out to be so contentious and uh, when we looked actually into voting as a process uh, historically and then uh, we looked at how blockchain is implemented there what we realized is this is one of those instances where blockchain actually doesn't provide a full scale solution but can be a part of a solution and we uh, explored a couple of uh, the prominent ones out there and also some of uh, the uh, you know criticism that they got saying that you know it's not a complete solution one of the interesting ones we found was that you know the us postal service was actually at the point when we were publishing that particular podcast had come out with a patent uh, for a way to use the blockchain as well as the mail system that the usps has to do uh, you know voting in a completely automated manner 
without having to go and actually go to a voting station and vote. In fact, uh, there were a couple of other places as well, I think uh, in Switzerland, where uh, similar blockchain solutions were used for voting uh, on the local elections or the district elections of the of the of the county or the district and yeah so that was an interesting one we also actually did a few uh, interviews we were lucky enough that you know after a few episodes we started getting interest so one of our first guests uh, was anton moskovoy he had reached out to us and uh, we had a very interesting conversation with him on the state of defi uh, and this was in uh, late 2019 and you know defi was just picking up steam and we had a a very nice discussion with him uh, about what defi is and one of his uh, uh you know one of his opinions about you know how we should not actually try to just replicate what is the existing banking and financial institution institutions in uh, blockchains because then you're not really serving the un, uh, unbanked right one of the core ideas around blockchain uh, at least in terms of uh, marketing and the one of the perceptions public perceptions about uh, cryptocurrencies was that here was a way that allowed people who are not currently banked or who are outside the banking and financial inclusion allowed them to actually start participating in the economy and participating in uh, business and uh, the rest of the global economy because uh, there's no requirement for you know identification and having a minimum balance and all of that and this is something that while defi continues to grow apace and you know we have more and more functionality or more and more aspects of the finance industry coming in uh, into defi we have now options trading and derivatives and synthetics and all of that i feel we still not there yet uh, in terms of inclusion and uh, yeah that's that's one of the things that uh, i think anton pointed out quite early uh, another one in this particular space basically we did relatively recently was with philip bekazi uh, philip is the uh, ceo of stable house and uh, he was actually talking about his product called stable house which is kind of like a clearing house for stable coins so he had identified stable coins as a key part of the defi ecosystem in fact of the whole uh, blockchain ecosystem from the financial side and uh, he wanted to build a solution where people could hold whatever clearing uh, whatever cryptocurrency or whatever stable coins that they had in uh, there were several flavors of stable coins right now and uh, seamlessly use stable house as a clearing house to be able to exchange between them right so you could be uh, holding maybe die in uh, or xbtc and uh, you have to pay in tether you can actually do that using his product it was also a very interesting conversation because we actually looked at a little bit into the regulatory landscape which at that time was also evolving and one of the interesting things i think about the last two years has been the amount of effort and uh, the amount of progress that has been made in kind of creating a space for cryptocurrencies and blockchains 
in the regulatory environment uh, of various countries. Some have obviously moved forward much faster, some are much slower. But uh, in all cases, that there's been kind of like this acknowledgement uh, about the existence of blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies and the importance that they play and uh, the need for you know some kind of clarity in regulation so that investments can be made and progress can be made in uh, building solutions and building products that the society could use. In fact, we did an episode, if I'm not mistaken, on central bank digital currencies, which was very interesting because it turns out uh, a lot of central banks around the world have been looking at digital currencies very closely, uh, looking at various types of blockchain solutions or similar to DLT solutions as a way to kind of scale or decentralize their offerings, right? So while not technically a true blockchain uh, as uh, most people think about it, since obviously it is managed by the central bank, it's not decentralized, they were still kind of trying to leverage the underlying idea of uh, a distributed ledger and uh, kind of use that to uh, build these CBDCs. One other interesting interview that we had uh, was uh, on a very core technical topic. And uh, uh, this one was about how do we actually improve the speed and the scale of cryptocurrencies? Because if you look at, I think KK had mentioned about CryptoKitties in the gaming industry. And one of the things that uh, CryptoKitties revealed was that if your application or your product built on a cryptocurrency as it stands right now gets really, really popular, (laughs) it's actually going to start uh, slowing down the uh, network and clogging up the network and raising prices for everything. And very soon, basically, you reach this point where, okay, it becomes uh, infeasible to actually interact or do transactions on the on the network and this is equally true of bitcoin as it is for ethereum ethereum was the one which had crypto kitties and most of the other blockchains uh, at least most of the ones other blockchains that had uh, the proof of work consensus protocol or the nakamoto consensus protocols and there were various ways to kind of approach this and what blocks wrote uh, which is a company that was founded by uh, Dr. Karman. They started looking at it was from the networking perspective and created this idea of creating a, you know, almost like a content delivery network, a caching solution that stayed below the blockchain infrastructure uh, and kind of scaled everything up by improving the speed and performance of that underlying networking layer. So, After that, I think uh, one of the things we kind of consistently started coming back and we've all kind of noticed has been the rise of DeFi, right? 2020 has been the story of DeFi rising. There have been hacks, there have been problems, there have been people who have scammed, but still overall, when we look back at 2020 and uh, last part of 2019, DeFi has generally been the story, right? And for good reason it's actually been a remarkable rise in the number of products and the number of solutions and even the fact that you know you have stable coins and you have people who can use stable coins to do transactions with the reasonable expectation that 
the value of their transactions don't fluctuate. Uh, that has kind of enabled a lot of things. And I think we are looking at a, a huge amount of growth, right? And DeFi definitely looks to be one of the success stories or the stories that are going to carry forward in the next years and kind of enable financial products on blockchains. Just to take a quick look at where we are today, at the start of 2021, Bitcoin is at an all-time high. DeFi is moving at the pace at which we just mentioned. Nikhil, what do you see as some of the things that we probably need to be careful of going forward? And uh, you know, what are some of the things we should look forward to? So one thing is clear that blockchain, unlike uh, after the 2017 hype and bust, it is clear now that blockchain is definitely part of the mainstream consciousness. It's kind of become like this thing that is there and continues to be there and it will continue to be there so that that's become kind of like part of the mainstream now. I'd say it's the initial stage of becoming part accepted in the mainstream, so to speak. And one of the interesting signals of that is the fact that uh, I was reading in an article the other day, I think there are like 81,000 Bitcoin which are currently with large banking institutions, I mean, regulated large banking institutions today, right? So, you know, the Citibanks of the world and the JP Morgans of the world, the Goldman Sachs of the world, they all have some kind of stake, apparently. And uh, the story is also only improved, right? We had the banking charter in Wyoming. We have Kraken, which is setting up a crypto bank in Wyoming. Recently, another company that was approved by Wyoming to create a bank. PayPal has started looking at and incorporating cryptocurrency payments in their network. Square has been doing that for a while now. Uh, So we have a lot of on-ramps that are being built to get Joe Public to kind of start participating and uh, using the cryptocurrency ecosystem. But what does that actually mean? Uh, Does that mean that, okay, we've solved all the problems and it's all good now? Absolutely not. If anything, it increases the urgency to kind of address some of the systemic challenges that we continue to face, right? So one of the first challenges is, like I said, the thing that we talked about with Blockstroot, which is scale. Bitcoin, Ethereum, any proof-of-work system continues to have problems of scaling. And up till now, the third largest one, which was Ripple, has now, I think very recently, uh, they got into uh, a little bit of serious scrutiny from the SEC. And uh, there is some kind of question as to, you know, uh, whether they are a security and all of that. Uh, So if you look at the cryptocurrency ecosystem, we have two very large cryptocurrencies, one being Bitcoin, the other being Ethereum, and a long tail. And that long tail has not seen the type of scale and the type of size of the network that these two initial big ones have. And Bitcoin and Ethereum are both proof-of-work systems and both have currently got a lot of scaling issues. So if we are going to go forward with the current uh, status quo, unless there is some new competitor that comes up and tries to overtake them, both Bitcoin and Ethereum need to address this challenge, right? And both of them are addressing this. There is layer two solutions, the Lightning Network on Bitcoin, 
and Ethereum basically is forking and going to go to a proof of stake system. But both of these are still in early days, I'd say there's still a, a bunch of work to be done and a bunch of adoption that needs to happen in order for this to work, right? And uh, I think that's going to be the story from the perspective of the cryptocurrencies, specifically focusing on the DeFi story, which I earlier said was kind of like the big story of 2020. While it is true that DeFi has grown, and one of the things that I think most of these on-ramps and most of Joe Public would be anticipating to do is to use DeFi and trade and do the yield farming and all of that. In fact, if you want to get an idea of some of the terms that are uh, quote-unquote DeFi specific, you should check out our DeFi series where we kind of explored some of these terms. But to get back to my point, the uh, challenge about DeFi is the fact that uh, DeFi has been built in the form of these various building blocks, right? So you have stable coins, algorithmic stable coins like DAI, then you have uh, automated market makers, you have automated liquidity pools, you have lending, you have derivatives, you have synthetics, and all of these are kind of different solutions and different smart contracts that are running. And all of them can be forked to create new products, and all of them can be combined in various ways. And I think the challenge or the problem that's going to, that's continuing to happen and will continue to happen is the fact that as each one of these products are being built and more and more of these products are being built, the complexity involved in combining them together is becoming exponential, right? So it's becoming harder and harder to actually build a DeFi product in which you've thought through all the use cases and the complex ways in which this product can interact with other products and the outcome of all of that. In fact, if you look back at some of the hacks, uh, quote-unquote hacks that have happened in the past 2020, most of them don't involve actually any kind of deficiency in the code itself. It's mostly some use case or some interaction that was not thought about. And when you combine them in that way, it leads to a problem, right? And uh, this is something that I see to be kind of an ongoing systemic thing. There are some efforts being made in terms of, you know, verifiable mathematical ways in which to kind of test or simulate all the various options and then try to reduce, uh, eliminate them, which is still in my mind in the uh, quote-unquote research stage. There's a lot of work being done there, but there's a lot of work to be continued to be done there. But yeah, this is going to be something that we all need to keep an eye on. And finally, I'd like to say that uh, while these on ramps and all of these things are coming up, the end user experience is still not there yet. We still don't have a simple thing that we can import, put into our phone and kind of confidently use to do a particular use case. And it requires a certain amount of understanding, a certain amount of study and a certain amount of acceptance of risk in order to use them. And maybe that's the way for that's the way it will be. Maybe inherently, even in finance today, we do have quote unquote credit investors and financial professionals. Maybe cryptocurrencies and DeFi basically is meant as a solution for those people. Uh, and it requires that kind of skill and that kind of focus. But in that case, and my question would be, okay, so then 
what are we actually really getting out of this? If you look at the promise, at least for me, one of the bigger promises was the fact that uh, this could be used by anybody and it could be used by the unbanked, which is still, I would say, not been addressed. All right, folks, that concludes our podcast. We hope that you found this episode useful. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.